Even though we grow up in families, oftentimes our strongest relationships can be that of our friends. The story of David and Jonathan in the Bible is instructive in this manner. They developed a strong friendship that grew out of their common interest in seeing Israel, their nation, free, independent, godly, and prosperous. And they worked together on that over time, and they were able to develop this friendship. And this friendship lasted even though Jonathan's own father, Saul, turned against David and even wanted to kill him. And Jonathan encouraged David, even in the midst of his trials, even though he knew that God had promised that David would be king, he was willing to change his position as the heir to the throne and submit to what God had said and be at David's side. When Jonathan and Saul died, David was experienced a grief that was beyond grief. You can read about it, the, his, his song at the beginning of 2 Samuel 1. It's uh, really a moving statement. And David's friendship with Jonathan lasted so that even after his death, uh, he wanted to do something good. And he found one of Jonathan's sons. And he said, I want to do as much good to this son because of my love for Jonathan. That's the type of, that's the type of relationship that can develop in the context of friendship. It's such a powerful bond. But what is it that causes friendships to develop this sort of bond? I think our text gives us this answer today that teaches us something about friendship and also teaches us something about Jesus and his friendship with us. And so basically what I want us to do is to look at this text, kind of look at the whole of it as the last supper of Jesus with his friends before he died, and then see what lessons we learn about friendship and then what we learn about Jesus. So let's first consider the Last Supper with Jesus' friends. And you can see I have a little outline there in your bulletin if you want to follow along or make some notes. So we learn about Jesus' friends in the context of the Last Supper. We didn't read it today, but in verse 7 it says that the time had come for the Passover lamb to be sacrificed. Weighty words, full of meaning, because Jesus was going to suffer as the, as the Passover lamb and be sacrificed for us, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And in this time, as many around the town did, they were to gather together to enjoy the Passover meal. And when they gathered to join that Passover meal, most people did it in the context of their family. But Jesus did not have this meal with his family. He had this meal with his closest friends. He gathered them together, and it was something that he said that he eagerly desired to do. It was something that was really in his heart to, to eat this final meal with them. And I think also to show them a few things before he died, which you can find in Ju- John 14 through 17, and, or 13 through 17, but also here. And we're going to turn to John 15 next week, and we'll see a little bit more of what Jesus did. And what he did is he, he took the meal... And he took the cup and he took the bread that were used there. And he basically said, from now on, you're going to take these things and you're going to use them as a way of remembering me and a way of communing with me. He, he took them and made them as emblems of himself. And that's why we have the Lord's Supper today. It was based on what he did at that meal. But one of the interesting things is he says that the bread represents his body. The, the cup represents the new covenant in his blood. And yet, immediately after that, he speaks of his betrayer. Out of his 12 closest friends that he has there, 
one of them is going to betray him to the Roman authorities. And what you should see here is that Jesus was not exempt from the pain of human friendships. It is one thing that often keeps us from engaging in friendships is because a lot of times friendships can hurt us. Friends, when we allow people in close, they can often bring us the greatest pain. But I want you to know, notice that this did not keep Jesus from engaging with people, even though he knew, even from the beginning, that one of them would betray him. He continued to show him good. He continued to develop that friendship, even knowing what the outcome would be. The disciples, when they heard about this betrayal, their anxiety went up and their brains went out the door. They all started saying, you know, they all started doing crazy talk about who's it going to be. And then they start fighting, which often happens when our anxiety goes up. And you can see it often happens with the, the disciples. And they started debate at this table where Jesus is preparing them for his suffering. They start debating who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus told them that they were looking at things all wrong. He said that human life is not about being served primarily, but it is a life of service. And he talks about the fact that the world often looks at, at things as if what we want is people to get, do stuff for us, as if we were the center of the world. That's, that's the height of blessing. He speaks of the people of his day, of his rulers, and that they would see, oh, they've got all these people serving them. And this is the greatest thing. <clears throat> the cult of benefactors, as he describes here. They would get great titles and be served, and everyone would recognize them and bow before them. And he, he we often see this to, today, and you know, sometimes we think of leadership as something where, oh, we just get to tell people what to do, rather than as something of service. But Jesus showed them how the world was meant to be. The world was meant to be a world of servants, not people that others bow down before. It was where people come alongside one another and serve one another. That's what Jesus says here in verse 27. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. In other words, he is the greatest. He didn't deserve, he, he had the right to tell them what to do uh, because he was the creator of the universe, but instead he chose to come alongside them and even serve them. And he showed them this, in, you can see in John 13, by even taking the position of a servant and washing their dirty feet, a job which none of them wanted to do. In preparation for this, uh, for this, for this series, I read um, the, this, the uh, discussion of friendship written by Cicero. Cicero was in the, the first century, uh, before Christ, he's a, <coughs> a um, contemporary of Julius Caesar. And he wrote um, many books that are very w well worth reading, full of wisdom. And he wrote a book on friendship, which has been one of the famous books of the Western world. It's written as a fictional discussion between Gaius Laelius and his friends at a meal about Scipio, perhaps the greatest Roman general, who had just died. And one of the most striking passages for me was when um, Gaius Laelius is talking about Scipio, and he says that he never put himself above others. He was always ready to give honor to all his friends. And he said, even his brother, who was an able man, but by no means his equal, 
he was ready to put right alongside him and give him the same honors that Scipio received. You see, there's something about friendship that moves toward equality, where we move alongside one another and want to serve one another and want to honor one another. And I think one reason that passage stuck out to me is because it reflected Jesus himself. And it made me think of all the passages where Jesus comes alongside people and serves them. He doesn't seek the great honors. He's ready to serve people. He's ready to come alongside them almost as equals to work as friends, which is what he's going to say, even though he is not equal in terms of the honor that is due unto him. He is the one who comes along to you and says, I am among you as one who serves. Even though no one deserved to be served more, no one served more than Jesus. He's willing to come alongside us and even to die for his friends. And then he says, that's how you are to love one another, which we'll talk about more next week. But what's interesting is that Jesus, while he was willing to serve, was also willing to receive. He didn't mind receiving things from others. I often find people who have a heart for service also have a hard time actually receiving gifts. They have a hard time when others serve them. And, um, but Jesus says something very interesting at this point, showing that he appreciates, um, the, showing that he appreciates what they have done. He says, you are those who stood by me in my trials. Even as he's telling them what to do, it's like he steps back and he says, I appreciate your friendship and all the things that you have done. These men, he was comforted by them. These men had stood with him. They had been through his trials with them. He had chosen them out, and now they had walked with him. And he was genuinely moved by it. Jesus was willing to serve at the table, but also sit at the table. It's interesting when I've talked to people who are engaged in in serving the homeless. What he often notes is that people are willing to come in and serve the homeless meals. But very few of them come and sit at the table with the homeless as equals and engage with them for whatever reason. Jesus is the one who's willing to serve and also willing to sit at the table. Now, Jesus tells them, you've been with me in my trials, but you're also going to be with me in my glory. I'm going to give you a kingdom just as my father gave one to me. So what do we learn from this about friendship? Well, remember that Jesus began his ministry choosing some friends. And who did he choose? He chose people who shared a common interest with him. People who are already interested in seeing the kingdom of God coming about and believe that Jesus was the one who was going to bring it. And what we learn from that is that friendship begins with common interest. You can't aim at friendship and get it. You have to aim at something else. Friendship always has to be about something. You have to get out and do stuff. You have to care about something. You have to have a cause. You have to have an interest. Even as C.S. Lewis said, even if it's just about a game or or white mice, it's got to be something outside of ourselves. And so Jesus began this interest with, of course, a something big, which was the kingdom of God, and it's coming through Jesus. And that's how friendships begin. But notice, how do they become strong? Well, this text gives us the answer. We can see what happened. Is that 
They, they become strong through many experiences over time. Friendships become strong through many experiences over time, especially hard and difficult experiences and working through obstacles and difficulties. This is the context for our best friendships. Friendships need time. I've shared with you this little image before that Aristotle gave. He said that friendships, in order to have a friendship, you have to eat a pound of salt together. And I hope no one went home that day and said, hey, come over to my house. Here's a pound, weigh out a pound of salt and ate it that day. Now we have a friendship. No, that's not what he was saying. He was saying that you put a little bit of salt on the meal and you put a little bit more the next meal and the next meal and the next meal and the next meal and the next meal. And over time, this friendship develops. You have to eat a pound of salt together in order to have a friendship. You've got to keep at it. That's one reason why it's good uh, for us not to just float from one church to another. You know, sometimes the Lord leads us in, in his providence to go to different churches, and that's fine to be able to, to do that. And, and there is nothing wrong with that. And I know many people for a variety of reasons have decided to move on to other churches. And I say the Lord bless them in that. Other people have left other churches to come part of our church, and that's fine too. But one of the things that, in the, that we, we'll miss in the Christian life if we aren't consistent in going to one place over and over again is the opportunity to build strong friendships that are rooted in working together for the kingdom of God and its growth in our lives over time, over a long period of time. That's the context for friendships to flower. Many experiences over a long period of time. It's when we can say to others what Jesus said to his disciples, you are the ones who stood with me in my trials, that we have those strong friendships. One of the best examples for me is my dear friend Brian Carpenter. Brian Carpenter, he actually preached in this church my first year who was, who was here, maybe some of you uh, when I was here, um, and maybe some of you remember him. Uh, he, he and I went to South Dakota to pastor about the same time, he a few months before me. When I first met him, um, I didn't think much of him, to be honest. Um, I, I thought he was a little bit flaky. Um, and, I, and I said, yeah, I don't know if much is going to develop here. But then uh, we, we drove to Presbytery together. Now, Presbytery is our regional church. It's like a group of churches in an area. Here, it consists of Chattanooga and Knoxville and the churches around it in our denomination. But as you go out west, everything spreads out. There it consisted of North Dakota, South Dakota, and Minnesota. And so oftentimes we would drive 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 hours one way to go to Presbytery. Well, let me tell you this. Two drives of 12 hours can make or break a friendship. And what happened is we had an opportunity where we, the two of us are driving together and we, we talked the whole time and realized how much we enjoyed one another, how much we had in common, how much common vision we had. And I was somewhat surprised and realized that once again, I should be careful in judging people just on the basis of first impressions. And what happened is we experienced a lot of, and then over the years we kept doing that, but then we kept getting together and we kept doing things together. We went through trials together in our church, in our Presbyterian denomination. I remember the first, one of the first times we drove, I got really sick. Um, I could barely move. When I got back home, 
um, I slept for like 24 hours straight, something I don't think I've ever done. So I don't know what happened. But, you know, he cared for me during that time, and he served me uh, as we drove home. And it was always something special that he, he had showed such care for me in that, but that he did that continually. And, you know, if I'm in a crisis, if I'm struggling to get, get my head straight, or he is, you know, we know that there's a person we can talk to. And thanks be to God, I have other friends like that, but generally he's the first call. That's how friendships develop over now 18 plus years of having served in the ministry together and worked together for, for the glory of God and to help each other be a better pastor. So that's what can happen over time. So let me apply this to you and ask you some questions. Do you have a context in which these types of friendships develop? If you want to have friends, do you have a context in which these types of friends can develop? If you want to have these type of friendships, you've got to get involved in something that develop it, will develop it. How did Scipio develop friendships? Well, he was interested in the good of the Roman Republic. And those around him who did the same were the context where he built the friendship. Jonathan and David had a bigger interest. They were concerned about Israel and its prosperity. Brian and I were concerned about our churches and the denomination and our presbytery. And we wanted to work together on that. Do you have a context in which these types of friendships can flower over the time? So that's... That's the thing you have to ask yourself. Are you doing things together that will give you a context for building these strong friendships? Is there things that you could do, even that currently, that you could lean into a little bit more? Are there things that you're doing on your own that you could do with others that could be a context for building that friendship? And it's not something you can really hasten. It's not something you can say, hey, let's work together for six months so we can build a strong friendship. You have to focus on the thing. And the friendship has to be about that. But let me also ask you, have you developed such friends? Uh, Have you developed such friends? They can still be a resource for you. What's interesting is there, there were times where Brian and I, after we moved away from South Dakota, didn't talk for months. And then it was always amazing when we got back together. It was like we just took took up where we left off. Those are the friendships that we can have. So we have some uh Friends here um, that, uh, that are visiting uh, Tennessee this February, um, Craig and Barbara Brown, and my parents are here today, and I was thinking about their friendship over this time, but I was thinking, what, where, did, where did their friendship begin? Well, they have a son who's my age, and I think it's like the context of wanting your kids to prosper and enjoy friendships together, and that, that kept going over time, plus they were in the same church together, and so you had the, these variety of things, and now... You know, after many years, they're still getting together here in Tennessee. And so welcome here. Glad to have you here today. Um, That's what can happen. You can pick out right up where you left off. So don't miss the friends you already have and those things that have already been developed. Now, what do we learn about Jesus here? So it's important for us to learn how to be good friends to one another. But the most important friendship we can have is with Jesus himself. So once again... Jesus showed that he is willing to come alongside us and serve. And he's also willing to come alongside us and sit at the table with us. And what we learn from this, once again, let me just underscore this, is that Jesus wants friends. He wants friends. He's come into this world to find a group of friends. He wants us to be his friends. 
And what does that mean? Not just that we would experience his affection, but that we would do stuff together with the Lord. That we would do the stuff that he's interested in and get alongside him in working for his kingdom so that our friendship with Jesus will grow and prosper. That's what the friendship is. It's not, it's not just him giving to us. It's also us being part of a working together, being co-workers with Jesus, being his workmanship that's created to do good works with him, through his power, alongside him, with his presence, to be interested in his works of creation and building up families and businesses and schools, to be interested in his work of redemption in our own life, working together to develop faith and hope and love in our hearts, working together to bless and reach out to those around us, working together to build up the church, working together to do bigger things for his name. Jesus wants us to be his friends. He says, come alongside me and let's do some stuff together. But secondly, Jesus sticks with his friends. That's what we see from this this passage. It's amazing that he wants us to be friends with him. And we see this because... We're a lot like Jesus' friends that he had while he was on earth. We're the ones who are always disputing about who will be the greatest. We're the ones who are always uh, losing our mind when we get, our anxiety goes up and letting that take, take over and we get all concerned and go crazy about things. And we, we end up only being concerned about ourselves, not seeing the needs of others and so on. That's how we are. But Jesus sticks with us in the midst of that. And he keeps helping us move forward. He keeps reminding us that life is service, to come alongside people, to be friends of others. He keeps teaching us. He comes back to us. He restores us. He renews us. Jesus will stick with us. He will stick with his friends. But then third, Jesus appreciates it when we stick with him. You know, sometimes um, we, we miss that God likes our obedience now, in the matter of our justification before God, we, we, when we, if we want to say, how can I stand before the judgment seat of God? We have to present a perfect righteousness. And we don't have that. We all have sinned and we need to, to. But Jesus says, now that you have my righteousness counted as yours, that we're united together, that I'm renewing you and I like what I'm doing and I like what you're doing. And so when we stick with him like the... Uh, like the apostles did, and, and day in and day out, continuing that faithfulness, Jesus looks at it and he's moved by it and says, these are those who have stuck with me in my trials. He is moved by our faithfulness. He likes it. And he likes it when people engage in friendship with him and keep engaging in friendship with him. See Jesus there as you've been walking with him many years, keeping at things, where, you know, you've had steps backward and steps forward. And he comes to you in the midst of all your foibles and weaknesses like the disciples. And he says, you are those who've been with me in my trials. And I appreciate it. But the great thing about Jesus is that we know that not only will uh, walking with Jesus bring trials. When we, when we seek to do something with Jesus, it's not always going to be easy. When we seek to say we're going to lead in our families, when we're going to lead in our communities, we're going to lead in our church, we're going to take a step forward to do ministry, not everybody's going to appreciate it. And it can be hard. It will bring trials. But Jesus says, in the end, 
All the trials are going to be paid back. Now, he wouldn't have to do this. But what he likes to do is to bless the things we've done for him. And see, Jesus says he's going to bless his friends in innumerable ways. He says, I am conferring on you a kingdom, just as my father conferred on me. And you're going to have a great place in it, he says to his disciples and by extension to all of his disciples. We need to know that when the, the work gets hard and when there's, we feel the trials, we feel the difficulties following Jesus, when there's a temptation to, to give up and to, to not keep going, not to keep reaching out, not to keep going that extra mile to serve, that Jesus says, keep going. Let's keep going together. The end is going to be great. You're going to be blessed. Any trial we've been through with him only makes us get greater luster in his sight, and it will be rewarded. It's a good quote I read uh, as I studied for this sermon I just want to leave you with. This is from J.C. Ryle, commentator from the 19th century, and his commentaries on the gospel. So he says this, Let us leave the whole passage with the cheering thought that the wages which Christ will give to his believing people will be far out of proportion to anything they have done for him. Their tears will be found in his bottle. Their least desires to do good will be found recorded. Their weakest efforts to glorify him will be found written in his book of remembrance. Not a cup of cold water shall miss its reward. Thus is friendship with Jesus. Amen.